Hey there, I'm Mike. Some of you know me from the Twisted Cape. Some of you know me because you're my sunshine after the rain. You're my cure against my fear and my pain. But regardless of how you know me, you know that I love comics, and that's what we talk about on this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mike's Big Stack. Oh, hell yeah, my thickies. Welcome to the show this week, recording at the Thickness Opera House. Just so you know, third straight week here of Mike's Thick Stack Attack. Those rules are at thetwistedcape.com. Check those out so you can get a shot at this sweet prize. Also, please make sure you go to Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening, or Podchaser if you're not, uh, and drop us a review for the Twistcast as well as Mike's Thick Stack. That really helps us out as a podcast. Here are your shout-outs for the week. What up to my hometown of Ambler, Pennsylvania? What's going on at the House of Mouse in Orlando, Florida? What's up, Scott's Bluff, Nebraska? Thanks for popping by. Finally, Oakland, California, what's good, baby? All right, as always, we start by reading the thickness of my stack. So slide, slide, slippity-slide while we check out Mike's Thickometer. Oh, yeah, Mike's Thickometer. Oh, thick like a diner's French toast, this week clocks in at a 7 out of 10 on Mike's Thickometer. Jam-packed with different kinds of stories, this thick ain't no trick. This week, I'm adding a book to the rotation, Marauders, from the X-Men line. I'll talk more about it later, but just know that I highly recommend it. The Thickometer score may have been just a bit thicker, but this week saw the release of Green Lantern Season 2, Number 6, which I'm about four issues behind on, so it was not included. Much like Marauders, this week, this will be added to the roster in the near future. This week, we go ahead and begin with the Marvel books, starting with Amazing Spider-Man, Number 46. This is my Marvel book of the week. It seems like this book is going to be borderline silly with the inclusion of the Lethal Legion, a collection of C-list villains. They show up to take a new scientific advancement designed to create new renewable energy when Spidey shows up. Hot on his heels, however, is the Sin Eater, who does his thing with the shotgun again. He seemingly shoots and kills the entire Legion. As this is happening, Sin Eater has taken Grey Gargoyle's powers and made Spidey a statue, leaving him helpless to watch. What he does is excessively violent, and despite this, the civilians clap and cheer, which bothers Spidey, who is narrating this entire story. It turns out he's been talking to Carly Cooper this entire time as they watch over Overdrive, who's in the hospital and has not woken up like Sin Eater's previous victims. The other story in this book is around Nora Winters, who's doing reporting at Ravencroft, which is in like an insane asylum, kind of like Arkham, if you're a DC person, on the members of the Legion for this story, uh, who've been recovering from their wounds and are apparently model prisoners. It turns out now Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin, is running Ravencroft now. Nora has a messed up encounter with Count Nefaria where he basically has a complete break. Spidey mentions how Sin Eater had become different after his initial run-in with him and Gene DeWolf, but he realizes that something is off. The book ends with Nora being caught and shot by Sin Eater. This book gets really dark and really heavy, and goes some places that Spider-Man doesn't normally go, and I'm really happy about that. This book, it looks good, it reads spectacularly. 
I would just highly recommend it this week. Gave that a four and a half out of five. Moving over to Captain Marvel number 19, I gave this a three out of five. This is a book that spins out of Empire and takes place between issues four and five of the main series. While Carol sets out to solve the mystery of who did all the damage and, and killed all the people that was clearly not done by her half-sister, Lariel, Lariel stays at Carol's with Chewie. Carol explains what she's done to Teddy before beginning her investigation. Teddy agrees to buy her some time. Lariel takes Chewie out for a walk in Carol's clothes, which is an entertaining series of panels. Carol comes back to Earth to check up on Lariel, but finds her rescuing a kid from a Kotati, and they fight side by side to take down an incursion of Kotati. After some sisterly bonding, Carol gets serious, assembles a team consisting of War Machine, Hazmat, and Spider-Woman, and takes them to see Doctor Strange. Steven duplicates Carol's hammer, and the new Carol Corps go back to work to solve the mystery. I like the book. It was fun. It was an easy read, but it didn't do too much to expand either the Empire part of the tie-in or Carol's regular story, particularly her attachment to her Cree heritage, which was why I rated it out of five. Empire number five, I gave this a four out of five. Tons of action and development in this book. We get the backstory about how Teddy and Billy got married right up front. Wiccan also has a few absolutely badass moments in this issue. Meanwhile, Ben Grimm is in the middle of a brutal fight with a Katati-controlled She-Hulk. She has him battered and bloodied, but Ben refused to quit, which is so great. I truly love him as a character in this book. Back in Wakanda, T'Challa is using Teddy's sword to cut through Katati forces, but is eventually overtaken and they open a gateway on Wakandan soil, which he's been trying to prevent. Then T'Challa is stabbed through the chest, by swordsman as Koi arrives. Billy arrives on the ship in orbit and exposes the Teddy imposter, but the damage may already be done. It seems like the pyre has already been triggered and there are minutes left before the sun explodes. Koi seems poised to win without this knowledge, and while Tony and Reed are aware of, of the pyre being lit, they're doing all they can to stop it. The coolest part of this is that the Iron Man armor that Tony's been creating in the in prior issues he's been creating for reed who's wearing it on the very last page an added element of this book basically being released weekly is that the story gets to develop and hit every week outside of maybe issue two i've greatly enjoyed this series crisp art juggling stories where the, the stakes are just absolutely real oh just a lot of fun Next up, Empire Avengers, number two. I gave this a three out of five. This book was also a really good time to me. Between the intense art, the fracturing of the Kree and Skrulls in the field, and the motley crew of Avengers assembling all over the place, it's just a ton of fun. Kazar and Shanna really drive the book forward, and their struggle is harrowing to watch. Scarlet Witch does all she can to break the Katata's control over Shanna, and eventually brings in Kazar to help her, help her escape. Their son Matthew escapes his holding cell with the Black Knight and eventually joins the fight against the Kotati. As Kazar and Shanna reunite, Kevin is run through by Ventry. I don't see a way that he survives this. This book isn't as focused as others, especially for quick tie-in books like this. It looks great and has some potentially long-lasting effects, but it's so scattered between the Luke Cage story, the Wonder Man and Mockingbird story, and the inclusion of Black Knight, and Kaz the Kazar and Shanna story, it just feels a bit much at times. Then we hit Empire, Captain America number two. 
I gave this a three and a half out of five. The story paid immediate dividends from the last issue. Cap's team has a showdown with the Kotati, which is aided by the new Kree Skrull Alliance, except they are incredibly reckless, especially by Cap's standards. They finally discover that Bennett, one of the members of the army, has been turned by the Katati, and that he's infected the army chief of staff who's headed to the UN. Cap gets there, but not soon enough. He saves as many as he can and implores the world leaders to join them in the fight against the Katati. It does seem like the Kree-Skrull alliance is ready to turn at any moment on Cap and the, and the other heroes. I like how tight this book was and how quickly it moves. It's also quite true to form and allows Captain America to do what he does best, mobilize and inspire troops on the ground. Next up, Empire X-Men number three. I gave this a three out of five. I like how this developed into something so incredibly ridiculous based off of last week. The psychics show up and join the battle, which is awesome, particularly from Kid Omega, who has just this Paul Bunyan line, and it's great, and they help turn the tide. Magic takes Opal to meet Beast, and they work to develop a way to stop the Katati. Explody Boy shows up mid-fight and takes a ton of Katati out by exploding. Opal and Beast find what they are looking for and send it over via Nightcrawler, since Magic is mid-battle and cannot respond to Black Tom Cassidy. Kurt shows up and swashes his way through a bunch of Katati, which is awesome. Meanwhile, Magic finds a staff and transforms into a powerful demon. As Explodey Boy chomps down on parts from multiple man's duplicates that he's found strewn across the battlefield from where he exploded, the pheromone concoction wears off of Angel and Multiple Man, and they see horticulture for what they really are, uh, complete with puke from the come down of the pheromones. That just makes just a great comedic moment. Magic seems to have become a threat here as a giant brain is found, infected, and then awakened at the end of the issue. There are a lot of moving parts in this issue, and it's it's a lot for just one issue, as you can probably tell. I almost wish that this series was a little bit longer so it didn't have to move at such a breakneck speed. Alright, next on the docket, Immortal Hulk number 36. I gave this a 4 out of 5. Leader's plan continues to develop here as we deal with the fallout from Hulk's explosion in last issue. Alpha Flight shows up, and they try to put Hulk down, and he clearly doesn't want to fight. He's, he's just not resisting. He attempts to process what just happened. Jackie tries to get through to Alpha Flight to get them to see reason, but they don't, and they continue to attack. And they eventually push her down. Hulk sees his friend get pushed down, and he's not happy about it. As he begins to lay waste to Alpha Flight, we go back to Gamma Base, where they're trying to cure their very first victim of gamma poisoning. It ends up costing a doctor by the name of Irwin his, his life as he breaks free of the containment unit and comes for Leonard Sampson. I love how this book has such vicious visuals. It's the best combination of superheroes and horror that we that's just on the market right now. If you were ever to get into an ongoing book for its wild overall story and even crazier visuals, pick this one up. Finally, I have Marauders number 11, which I gave a 4 out of 5. This book is in addition to the rotation, and I want to back up to get you caught up. This book follows Kate, formerly Kitty Pride. For some reason, she and other mutants cannot use Krakoan gates, so she takes a ship, which she dubs the Marauder, and retrieves mutants on the boat and takes them to Krakoa. 
She also leads a team of special operative mutants, which includes Storm and Iceman, and carries out other missions as she's established herself as the Red Queen alongside Emma Frost as the White Queen and Sebastian Shaw as the Black King. Kitty was recently killed by Sebastian Shaw and cannot be resurrected via the Krakoan pods for some reason, uh, and it's suspected that it's linked to the reason that she can't use the gates. This issue begins as a letter being written by Nightcrawler to fill her in on what's happened while she was dead. They give her a funeral, and instead of burying her, she gets a Viking funeral, which is she's, she's set adrift, and then the body is set on fire. Emma goes into mourning, but is disturbed by Lockheed, who witnessed Kitty's murder and escaped. Emma reads Lockheed's mind and discovers that it's Shaw, and gets real mad and vows to make him suffer. Lockheed is healed, and Charles agrees to try to bring Kate back one more time against his prior promise, at Kurt's urging, and Emma's too. In the meantime, Storm visits an ex-desk operative to tell her that they thwarted a tainted black market Krakoan drug shipment. Finally, Emma figures out why all the husks used to attempt to revive Kate have been unsuccessful, and it happens because of a chance conversation with Nightcrawler. Kate has been known to ignore barriers, so that's what sparks it. She phases out of the pod, and Xavier wakes her up and restores her mind. Kate has a psychic conversation with Emma, and the two queens seem ready to move on Shaw. This book has been so good with setup and immediate payoff after setup and immediate payoff and has been among the most consistent books I've read recently. I'm over the moon to see where this title goes, especially as mobilization is made against Shaw. There's a foreshadowed moment in here as well when Emma is reminded to play chess, not checkers, which is really telling and uh, really shows us where she's going to head. All right, that is it on the Marvel books. Going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to hit these DC books hard. Hey, everybody. It's Mike from Twisted Cape. Do you like wasting time at work? We do. Uh, if, if you want to waste some time at work, hopefully not for caught, you should check out thetwistedcape.com. We have a bunch of satire stuff. We have some opinion stuff, some review stuff, a whole bunch of stuff, and other stuff as well. Uh, we have some contest stuff and some other fun stuff. Make sure you check it out. Uh, at your leisure at any time you want www.thetwistycape.com we'll see you there stay twisted that's right we're back we're gonna go ahead and jump into these dc titles should be pretty strong here and i'm excited to do it with you batman and the outsiders number 15 i gave this a three and a half out of five First off, I want to say this cover is absolutely misleading, which DC does fairly often. In fact, it'll show up again this week. Raish enacts his plan, but Batman, along with his team of outsiders, enacts his. Batman and Shiva forcefully recover the last piece of information necessary for Batman to put the rest of Raish's puzzle together to find out what he's up to. Meanwhile, Jefferson uses his powers, at Batman's urging no less, talk about a tense relationship, to locate the weapon that Raish is planning to use. Raish, meanwhile, issues his warning to the world with Japan in his crosshairs as Batman shows up to foil his his plans. I like the pacing of this book. Not a ton of action in the book outside of the open, but it's not necessary. This is like the hype video before the main event. Next issue should be straight fire because Raish-Batman showdowns are rarely disappointments, especially since Batman tainted the Lazarus Pit and removed a lot of 
resurrection possibilities from Raish. Up next, Batman Detective Comics number 1025. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This is a Joker War tie-in that was heavy on Batwoman and Bullock, with some Batman sprinkled in. Visually, the art is an absolute standout here, specifically around the action, which this book does not lack. Kate responds to a GCPD distress call from Bullock and his team at the cemetery where Joker has unleashed a ton of his minions and arsenal against the police. Batwoman and later Batman neutralize the threat and make for Wayne Enterprises where they're 3D printing weapons. At Wayne Enterprises, there's also an infected Lucius Fox doing his best to keep Joker from hurting and killing people. Batman shows up with a tank, with concussive force guns, and goes to work while Batwoman saves Lucius. This issue ends with the two heroes going their separate ways. I love that their relationship has not recovered from the strain that it underwent uh, earlier in Detective Comics about 40 issues ago. It was actually pretty fun to read. Next on the docket, we have Dark Knight's Death Metal number 3. I gave this a 4 out of 5. This is my DC book of the week. This book is equal parts ridiculous and awesome. To start, Batman, Harley, Diana, and Swamp Thing roll on the Dark Side Batman hybrid with Parademon Robins, which is about as badass as it sounds, to rescue Superman and Mr. Miracle. He gets absolutely rolled by Superman, who shares a mysterious moment with Bruce before rescuing a room full of leaguers who look to take the fight up a few notches and restart the multiverse. Meanwhile, the Robin King enters the Crypt of Heroes, setting the Darkest Night after Wally and his Dr. Manhattan powers, causing the Flashes to flee. Finally, there are a few moments here with Lobo killing imps in the fifth dimension and retrieving mysterious boxes that contain death metal for one Lex Luthor. This book is big and flashy, intriguing, silly, and dark. That's what makes the book so good. I'd be remiss here if I didn't shout out the art by Greg Capullo. Expressive and the fights are just great, as are the unspoken character moments. It's like they're right out of a movie or a TV show. Moving on to The Flash, number 759, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. Last time I was concerned about this book, and this time I feel a little bit better going forward. In his mind slash speed force, that bit isn't completely clear, Barry is reunited with Jesse Quick and Max Mercury, and he works to reclaim his body from Thawne. Seems like the Legion of Zoom is set to begin coming apart at the seams here because the villains are becoming stir-crazy and are really at each other's throats. Luckily, before Thawne can do any real damage to the Flash family, Bart figures out that he's not Barry, and the rest of the Flash family is not far behind, specifically Iris. The issue ends with Jay speeding in to protect the family. I like this issue a lot more than last week, but I still have reservations about how this ends. Solid read, though, and the art is as it has been throughout this entire run. Very good. Moving on to Justice League Odyssey number 23. I'll give this a 4 out of 5. It's just an action-packed issue this time around, filled with twists and turns and badass moments. Jessica Cruz makes it back to the present where Epoch and Epoch fucking time travel are working together on the continuity revision mechanism. Meanwhile, Eschaton is giving Darkseid that W-O-R-K work, and it's definitely a slobber knocker of a fight. Just when you think it's over, Darkseid is victorious. However, he starts to lose his grip on controlling Cyborg. 
The team retreats, realizing that they need to end this as fast as possible, and Hax arrives to assist the Epochs. Cyborg pledges not to turn on Darkseid, and then has a fight with Orion and Blackfire, which he handily wins. But Jessica Cruz shows up and uses her words to shake Vic free of Darkseid's influence. Finally, Hax betrays and kills both Epochs and submits to Darkseid, who seems to be overall victorious. This book is so fun, and if not for Death Metal, this probably would have been my book of the week. One more quick note before we move on. This is another book that has a misleading cover, which kind of gets under my skin. Moving over to Superman number 24, I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. This book has grown on me again. There are some very cool moments in this book as they struggle against Xanadoth, who turns out to be the original Lord of Chaos. This is largely a Dr. Fate Superman team-up, which is pretty nice. The book is mostly the struggle against Xanadoth, which includes a ton of cool visuals, especially the monsters that Fate and Superman fight against. There's also a great splash with Superman wearing the helmet of Fate and wielding magic as all the magicians combine forces against Xanadoth. Despite the fact that the heroes emerge victorious, the end of the book seems to suggest that they don't really win and that Xanadoth will be back soon. I enjoyed the story. The biggest drawback is sometimes how wordy this gets, but that's sometimes expected from a Bendis book. Alright, last book of the week here, Wonder Woman number 760. I gave this a 3.5 out of 5. I was really looking forward to this book this week. Off the top, I want to point out how good the art is. It's like Janet was made for a Wonder Woman book. Diana is simply stunning all the time, and it really helps the story. The Max Lord bit from the last issue fizzles out right at the top of the issue and provides some potential foreshadowing later on when he says that he's not responsible for what happened. Diana deals with another psionic attack at a construction site where she saves a bunch of people, but the next thing she knows, she's in her bed with her armor on fighting parademons. She unloads on them and just lays waste to a lot of them before Etta waking her up by calling her and she, and she looks around and she's laid waste to what looks to be police and military. It's a quick, easy read, and now I'm even more intrigued for the future. Okay, no interview this week. Schedule almost done. We should be starting those interviews very, very soon. Uh, there's still a little bit of time to get in for the rest of the year, so if you want to hit me up on Twitter, at SpiderMike29, go ahead and do that. Next week, I have a few things I'm looking forward to on the DC end. Start with Batman number 97, as well as Nightwing number 73. Those are both Joker War tie-ins. On the Marvel side, of course, Avengers number 35, as that Khonshu, Age of Khonshu story develops, as well as Thor number 6. It's the third episode where Mike's Thick Stack Attack is live, so make sure you get your guesses in. We want to make sure we get you this prize as soon as possible. The rules are up on the TwistedCape.com. That is all the time we have for this week. Of course, make sure you subscribe to the Twisted Cape on your favorite podcast platform. We're at the Twisted Cape, no spaces on every social media platform. Facebook, the Gram, Twitter, and YouTube. Make sure you tune into our weekly Wednesday, let Sam do the rest of that name show, uh, <laughs> as, as we do the, our live show. It's a good time on Facebook, on, on YouTube, and make sure you live in the comments. We go over them during and at the end of each show. We try and make it as interactive as possible. Finally, if you could please send us some feedback on this show, uh, just go ahead and send that over to twistycape at gmail.com and make sure you use the subject line MTS. Thanks for tuning in. 
And until next time, I'm losing my mind when you're not around. It's all, it's all because of you. Stay safe, wear a mask, stay twisted. Fix that.